So Ecclesiastes 9, where we are this morning. It's only got 12 chapters, so we're getting close. That's where we'll be, and then if you want to mark that, but we're, I think we're going to start in Romans 1 when we finally get there. So Ecclesiastes 9 and Romans 1. Uh, just as, again, a brief review and, and, and the setting, it helps me each and every week to, to do this, and so I like to do it for you, is that this is Solomon the king, Solomon the wisest man who's ever lived, Solomon who is rich and powerful, and he's observant. That's, uh, whenever I study Solomon, it's one of the things that, at the onset that I always look at, he's an observant person, especially the first half of this uh, book that we were looking at, like how he watched things, and he even talked about you know, how a vine was growing on a wall, and looking at the little roots, and how it grew and went up, and how a tree is formed, and, and so he's very observant looking at everything, but he's also sensitive. It seems like that's a good part of discernment, being sensitive, be able to read someone, to have empathy, and, and to be able to tell other people's emotions in that way. That was part of his wisdom, to be able to read people. You know, there's, there's whole trades that are built around just being able to read and be sensitive and in tune to someone. He had that. He's a king who has everything, yet he knows about how a true mother's love for her baby is. Remember, that's how he was able to discern whose child of this was one of the famous stories of his wisdom, right? He was like, well, chop it in half. And the other mother's like, no, let her have it. And he's like, that's a mother's love. She would do anything to let that baby live, even if it meant her not having it. A mother's love would give it up in that way. And so he understood how a woman's heart worked in that way because he'd observed it. He'd studied people. He'd studied life. Um, it's suspected, and I've brought this up before, it's suspected that he would go in disguise and then go into the city and um, live for a while and see what it was like, you know, live as a street bum, live and see if the people would get his charity in this way and that way. And just to kind of see, you know, what the city was like. You know, it's one thing when you're the king and people are bringing you reports. You know, it's always got a little shine to it and it's telling you what you want to hear. So he would go out and investigate what is suspected or if it wasn't, he was just that in tune as a judge as he would sit in judgment over the people that he saw such a cross-section that he was really got a picture of what his city was like and what life was like and at the different levels of income and everything that was going on. He just really had a sense of the struggle and the hopes and the dreams and the hardships and, and what average life was like, which would be pretty hard, you know, when you were living in a palace with everything you ever wanted, you know, right there. And so, but, but he has a, a, a keen um, sensitivity to all that. You can just sense it by the things he talks about and the things that bother him and the things that trouble him. You can just tell that, He's not like, oh, I'm a king, none of this stuff bothered me. He puts himself in the average guy's shoes and is like, why is this? Or why does that happen? He asks those questions. You know, we have a whole proverb that, that teaches on all those things about that. And so, so maybe as a judge he, he picked up on that. Or maybe he did go incognito and go out and about in the street. You know, I, I, I kind of picture that. You know, but I kind of like the fantastic in that way. So you know, who, who knows? But, um, and sadly, his conclusions is that he takes the perspective of the world when we say the world, you know, we kind of know it's Christian speak, right? We talked about there's the Christianity and there's, there's the, the Bible-based view and there's the world. It's kind of everything else and it's quite the melting pot and quite the hodgepodge, you know, of, of everything. You know, the, the world system, their beliefs, their thinking, 
the naturalistic tendency of today. It's like, oh, there is no supernatural. Everything has to be naturalistic. It has to happen, happen within the realms of how things are. That's why they don't believe the Bible, because it is supernatural. Christ could speak to a blind man and he see, and they're like, well, well how's that happen? You know, how's it, you know, we don't see that happening, and so that can't happen. It's because they're naturalistic. It has to help it happen in the naturalistic processes. Uh, where the Bible's supernatural. So the world just sees things under the sun, and that's where we get this whole phrase that he keeps using again and again and again. Life here and now, as if this is all there is, as if that is all that is going on. Uh, but we learn uh, that he's right about a lot of things that he says. You know, there's a lot of things that we identify with. One of the sayings that is most famous out of Ecclesiastes is one of the most right ones, is where he says there's nothing new under the sun. And see, because we spent some time in Ecclesiastes, it should change how that verse hits us a little bit differently. First, I just thought it was like, oh, it's a poetic way of saying that nothing changes. But nothing changes under the sun changes it when you know that nothing changes under the naturalistic way. Man stays the same. Man is ever lost. Man is ever wicked. Man is ever evil. That there's nothing that happens outside of that if we just stay under the sun. But boy, if there's a supernatural, if there's a God in heaven, if there's an eternity, if there's a way that things can change and that would come down and change our life, then things can be new. That's a lot of the mystery that we have in the New Testament. We have something new that we can be changed. We can be born again. We can be made new, and we we have all that. And so he says here, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So there's a lot of things that are the same, and there are a lot of things that are the same. People are the same. Things happen the same. You know, like we might have more stuff, different stuff, but it's the same thing. People's reactions are the same. People... Do the same things. People react the same way. People have the same things happen. People read people the same way. They, they, people read what happens in the world the same way and come to the same conclusions back then as it does now. As a matter of fact, it's kind of shocking how it is, but it's true. So unless the Holy Spirit wakes them up and draws us or draws them, you continue on that path. That's why as inter- intervention, we even sang about this morning, you know, about the Spirit awaking us was in that song. It really hit me this morning as we were singing it. So I sang the wrong words. No, but, but even thinking about that, and I was thinking about a gift of God that we, we, we take for granted, and that's curiosity. I think it's one that should be encouraged. I think it's one that should be instilled in our children at a young age of curiosity, of questions, of, of asking these things. And I think it's God's calling card that pulls you into more about Him, to draw you closer to Him, to pull you into His realms in that way, that curiosity. I think it's one of the things on the cover of the book that tells us that there is a Creator, the stars and their vastness. And as you lay out there and you look up and you see them all and you have to think, wow, and why? And they're beautiful. And they're there. And not only are they beautiful and it's vast and it's big and who are we and what are we and what is all this? And you have to think that they're also very useful for us. We navigate by them. We're able to tell signs and seas and we have all these different things that we can use by them that, 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 that sure is beneficial for us. And if we wouldn't have had them, we, we wouldn't know and we'd be lost. Stars are, are, are a big deal. Are they just on chance? Are those just chance? Or is it on purpose? See, he uses it as his calling card to, to make you curious. It's like, why? That's him drawing us in, drawing us ever deeper. Romans 1, verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him that are, for, uh, let me start over. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's the umbrella we all 
fall under. Everyone falls under this umbrella that we have no excuse. That God uses the calling card of creation, be it the stars or be it an animal or be it a newborn baby or be it flowers or be it whatever it is, to draw men to say that there must be a creator. There must be a creator. At 53 years old, I still learn of new things in the world, foods and flowers and plants and trees that I didn't know about and just makes me stand back in awe and wonder about how fantastic is this artist, this creator who put all these things together. And yet, you know, uh, we're to look at this and, and we should be able to say that there is a majesty. Our heart should tell us there's a creator. That doesn't just happen. Stars are fixed and moving in the right way, as, as precise as any, well, better than any clock that we can make, any timepiece that we could put together. It's God's giant timepiece for us. We could see it all. We have to say that, man, there must be a creator. There must be a God. There must be a giver of life. But do we seek him? Or do we go, eh, move on? You know, are we curious to draw him? He uses that to draw us. And if God is out there, has he done anything to connect us? And that's what the Bible is. But sadly, many don't think any deeper than, oh, that's nice, go on. Or I don't do that, or I don't go outside, or I don't look anymore. But we've all had the curiosity spark. The Bible tells us right there we have. Or maybe they're angry at him, <clears throat> so they want nothing to do with him. Or maybe they're rebellious towards him, because he doesn't do things the way that they would do things, they think. Or they don't treat them the way that they would treat them. <clears throat> maybe they're rebellious because God... God's world and how he moves and interacts doesn't do like we think we would do. And he doesn't. The Bible tells us that. My ways are not your ways. A lot of people don't consider that. They only consider their perspective. and They have no time to think about anything else. God does not behave as they would behave. So they turn and they never, never consider long. They never go deep. They never think hard. And they never think about what Romans 1 says. And they replace him, like Romans 1 says, with something else. Well, I don't like him, I'll make something else. Maybe they pick another deity. I'll choose Chemosh, or I'll choose Baal, or I'll choose whatever. The Old Testament's full of that. They would go after this. God said, go a-whoring after these other gods. Like, eh, we'll just try somebody else in that way. Or they go after money. Or, I'll just say it was chance. Just chance, all this happened. Chaotic randomness, something blew up, made everything. Or they'll say it was natural selection or things are just, you know, they, they, they replace it with something. There's always something that put it all here that we have to have that answer, right? It's one of the questions that we have. But Solomon is weighing all this out. So if we go back to Rome, or Ecclesiastes 9, and he's thinking about all this. And look at verse 1. He, he says, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 says, For all this... I considered in my heart, even declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Again, he's the wisest man who ever lived, so he talks a little different than you and I would. I don't know about you, but people always go on and on about Shakespeare. I read it and I'm like, I really don't get this. <laughs> it's like I have to think long and hard. Romeo and Juliet, I can get, I understand that, but a lot of them I'm like... I don't, he just talks too flowery. Say it. Is there a plain speech version? Then maybe I'll get it. But Solomon's a little bit flowery. And basically, if you're going to sum up this verse, it's fatalism again. He's visited there before. Basically, nothing matters. It happens as it happens. Nothing changes. We can't make anything change. It's fatalistically determined. Uh, he, <clears throat> he argues that uh, he knows there's a God. I mean, he, he, that comes up time and again. 
But he just sees him maybe as ambivalent at best. It's like, I just really don't see him intervening. I just really don't see things making a difference. Um, the things are going to happen, they happen. The course of life just goes as it goes. It doesn't seem like there's one thing that puts one person in a favor over another. He says, we can't change anything. It just seems like it's just fatal, like it's just life. It's just how it is. Uh, nothing, we, we can't steer, we can't do anything, we can't course correct. And a lot of people have that view. Nothing matters. That's probably the, the, the main thing of today. You know, uh, Christianity is dying off in droves. Churches are becoming more and more empty. It's being replaced by... A lot of it's just sports or leisure time or activity. You know, something else like, eh, at least I'll have pleasure. Solomon is going to run that way. Well, nothing really matters. Let's just go that way. Um, the Left Behind books caused a stir and made people consider the end times. What was going to happen? It was going to happen on. And then it hadn't happened for yet. It's been promised. You know, the New Testament has written this. You know, at the time of Christ, we are waiting. And so we have such a short attention span that people are like, eh, it's never going to happen. Uh, let's just forget it and go do something else. No. So people just live a life of do your best, obey the laws, be a good citizen, do no harm. Libertarian party, it's kind of like, do no harm. I just do whatever, you do whatever. My rights end at the end of my arm. As long as I'm not hurting you, you're not hurting me. That's all okay. And uh, we'll just have a happy life that way. That's kind of the American standard right now, right? Everybody do what's right in their own eyes. That's where we were before the flood, too. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Verse 2, he gets more down the nitty-gritty as uh, you and I kind of wrestle with sometimes. Verse 2, he says, All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean. And to the unclean, and to him that sacrifices, and to him that sacrifices not. As, the, as is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event even to all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. And again, I think this is here is where we, we wrestle. Where Christianity of today, uh, seems like, has, has struggles. How many times in the news do you see something and you're like, that's just tragic. And they, then they tell you about the person that it happened to. They were a good person, it seemed like. They were doing seemed what was right, trying to do everything right. They have a family. As a, as a husband and wife together and the husband gets killed and it's just like, oh, now she's left, you know, left alone or she gets killed, now he's left alone and, or he gets murdered and now they're left alone and you're just like, why does this go on? Why, is it, why does it happen that way? You know, the, the, it just seems like it's a tragedy. You know, the, the, why would that befall this nice, friendly, oftentimes godly couple they were put in that way? You know, or there's the accident on the road. You know, oh, it's a head-on. It was horrible. Yes, it was drunk driving. The drunk walks away, and the family's all devastated. You know, parents are gone, or the kid, kids are gone. We're like, why? Well, why does it work that way? Why does it seem like, you know, the evil's doing everything wrong, and he gets out of it unscathed and doesn't even take it into mind because he's still so drunk, and it's like, and this other family is now devastated. Why does that happen? We get that a lot, don't we? We wrestle with that a lot, don't we? You know, the drug dealer seems like gets a slap on the wrist and he's back out there. He can just grease the palms, keep things going. And then you, you know, speed that one time and boy, you're going to get the ticket. And you're going to get the fine. You're going to have to go. All these, it just seems like it just stacked against us. It just uh, seems like the crooks get by while we suffer. And, and, and you know, a perfect example. It's like, 
The world is saying, well, America is saying, and the world is putting the pressure on us, that we should have open borders. Everybody just come in. They should be able to have everything that we have, and they should be able to vote, and they should be able to have that. Go try to license a bus. You find all the struggles that you have to go through five trips. You know, I forget, four months worth of searching for insurance. All the hardships that put on me, it don't come easy for us. As a citizen who's paid his whole life for 53 years, wasn't nothing easy. Yeah, they're just going to walk in and have everything. It should make us all angry. Go to the license branch. You'll be on the fence. You will not be on the fence. You'll be on the fire. Say, no, this is wrong. We have to fight for everything that we even supposed to have. Oh, it's frustrating. Uh, so, but yeah, it gets you that way. And so it just seems like the little guy gets buried in red tape and has to pay all the fine. Well, the rich guy gets by with it because he has it all sheltered and put in this way. And you can't touch them and all these different clauses. Just, oh, it just, it just seems like it chokes the life out of us. On and on and on. And we wrestle with that, right? Like, God, you know, I'm trying. God, you know what we're trying to do here. God, you know, this is a good call. We, we, we think of all that. And it seems like. It's easier for the crook over there who just forges the papers and goes on. You try to make it better, then it hurts you. It's not new. It's not new. It's not new to us. Let's go all the way back to the oldest book in the Bible, Job, chapter 21. Job 21. There's a lot in here, but I'm going to just read an excerpt, but... Job 21.7, he says it better than I can say it. A lot of the things that you and I wrestle with that I hear as a pastor, why is this, is right here in Job. So Job 21, verse 7. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, or mighty in power? It's like, they didn't die in an accident. You know, they get to live to be a ripe old age. They didn't get murdered. They murdered somebody. You know, illegal alien, yeah, he's murdered three people. Let him back in. You know, it's like, why? It's insane. It's insanity. Yea, they're even mighty in power. Matter of fact, they get reward. They'll get power. They'll get position. They'll get a place in the world. Verse 8. Their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offspring is before their eyes. They have kids. They have a lot of kids. They teach them to live the same way. And have the same kind of disrespect and get by with it and lie, cheat, steal, and cheat. Verse 9, their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. It doesn't even seem like God disciplines them. They do whatever they want and get by with it. And there's not even, nothing falls on them. <clears throat> not proud to admit this, but I pray. It's like, Lord, let that guy have a flat tire on the way in. It's like, why do they always give me the grief? Why is it always falling? Let him have car trouble one time. Let, let that happen in that way. It's like, and it just seems like it never does. It's like, you know, so we have that frustration. Verse 10, their bull gendereth and faileth not, and the cow calveth and casteth not her calf. <clears throat> That's wealth. There. They make money. You know, theirs was in livestock. You know, the more cows you have and the more uh, oxen you have, the more you have to sell, the richer you were. It was like the stock markets were rolling in for them, you know, because they've got it all in the right place. It seems like they put it all in the right place. They didn't lose anything. They sheltered. They put out. They inside and traded. It just seems like everything, blessings are on blessing on them. Verse 11. They send forth their little ones like a flock. They've got a brood of kids, and their children dance. And it seems like they're all happy. They're all healthy. They don't wrestle with cancers and anything else. Verse 12. They take the tremble and the harp, and they rejoice at the sound of the organ. It just seems like they're happy-go-lucky. You know, just everything goes their way. Verse 13. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, they go down to the grave. That's it. 
that was a little hard, but I, but I think you're just saying that there's no long, prolonged disease, you know, that when they die, it's quick and suddenly. But it seems like they just have wealth, they live it up, they just have their best life now, and, you know, they're going that way. Verse, there's, your, there's your Bible verse for best life now. I don't know if I want it. Verse 14 says, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. That's the way it works, right? They're even adamant about it. Well, we're going to be atheists. And we're going to say, we're not going to be like, well, we're flirting around. I'm a casual Christian. No, we don't want God hindering us. I don't want him taxing my income, saying I have to give him additional 10%. The government takes enough. Of course, I shelter it. You know, I don't want to have to give God a, a day of the week. No, it's my time. It's my day. I don't want to, have to acknowledge him. I don't have to think about him. I want to think about his ways. I don't want to be hindered by his rules. I don't want you bothering my conscience. They don't want any of that. They just want to live the way they want to live. That's the world, right? Verse 15, what is the Almighty that we should serve him, they say? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? It's like, what good does it do to pray? <clears throat> that was the big meme that went around uh, the Florida shooting, right? Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers do nothing. Keep your thoughts and prayers. All the rich and famous put that, that tweet out there, pretty much the same thing. Stop your thoughts and prayers. We need to ban guns. You know, thoughts and prayers do nothing. That, that was the whole thing. This was the same thing they were saying. Nothing new under the sun. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. We live the way we live. You can see the benefit. Come on, do like we do. And that's what's sold to us as the world today. Do what we do. Back to Ecclesiastes 9. So that, there's nothing new. That's the oldest book. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 2 says, All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked and to the good and to the clean and to the unclean and to him that sacrifices and to him that sacrifice not. That's Read that, go to church. One that goes to church, one that doesn't go to church. As to the good, as to the sinners, so that he that sweareth and he that feareth an oath. It doesn't seem to matter, is what Solomon is saying. You can live the Christian life as we would take it. He was the, the Jewish life. He was sacrificed, do everything, honor God, put him first, Ten Commandments, keep those in front and between your eyes, do everything you're supposed to do, honor. On the Sabbath day, you don't move, you don't do all these things. Or, you know, on the other side, you can just treat it like it's nothing. And it says, that, boy, it sure seems like it's better that things fall out the same. It's the law of averages work out doesn't affect one life any more than the other. It seems like they have the same hardships as the guy who does nothing. Or they have the same blessings as the guy who does nothing. Because I don't really see the difference. Matter of fact, it seems like the difference falls in favor of the wicked. They get more. You know, and they have it easier. Uh, it seems like not following God is more profitable. Because uh, if you do follow God, it seems like it's harder, right? You have no fun. You know, because oh, you have all the restrictions of uh, morality and everything against you. Uh, you get picked on, you get persecuted, you get killed even if you live your faith to the fullest. You, know, you might even die. And the world's looked at this shallowly with zero curiosity to, to say, why would they do that? But I think God has us do it to draw them in. They're just looking at a glance and they conclude, there's no God. You just look how it affects. It doesn't affect him any different than me. Or a matter of fact, I seem better than him. Why would I want what they have? And so they say that there is no God. Or they conclude that God doesn't care. Or that nothing that we do really matters. And so they say, live it up. Solomon's going to get to that conclusion. Eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow you die. You know, that's kind of the best thing you can do if there is no eternity. Paul even says it, repeats it in the New Testament. Verse 4 says, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Um, lion is a fierce king of beasts, right? If you were going to have a pet as a protector, lion would be a pretty cool one to have, right? You know, going around your property, guarding everything. Everybody would say like, oh, that's their house. Don't go up there. They got a lion. You know, it's like uh, the kid's riding the bike by your house. Uh-uh, they got a lion over there. I want to go around another block. I'm not going to go back that way. But if the lion's dead, he's not much of a threat, is he? So that's why he's like, it's better to have a living dog. So he's coming to the conclusion 
I don't care how royal and majestic and how good and honorable that is. Living's better than being dead. Those Christians die. Those Christians get murdered. Those Christians have a hard life. Those Christians are broke. Those Christians have all this grief. They have restrictions they put on themselves. <laughs> I'd rather be living. Let's just choose life. You know, go for the gusto, a Schlitz commercial, or whatever it was back in the day. Let's, let's, let's live it up. You know, life is better. So they say, live, live, live. Verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. I guess read that time is short. Do what you can now, because the dead, they don't remember nothing. You know, I can go to the grave. They're not, I don't think, they're not doing anything. They're, from his perspective, you know, from under the sun perspective, you know, not thinking that there's eternity and all that. They're like, man, it seems like life is in the living. Live it up. You know, let's go. Verse 6. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. All that they did or all that they had ever thought about all vanished away. You know, it makes me stop and think about Solomon's day. I think, what about the guy who lived four houses down from Solomon? What was his wife's name? How long were they married? What job did he do? How many kids did they have? What was their house like? I don't know. There was, that was just, you know, there was a whole city full of them, people that, I don't know. I know about Solomon because he wrote stuff down and because God preserved it. It seems like it didn't matter. You know, if you look at the scheme of things in life, you think backwards, what about my great-great-great-great-grandpa? I don't know who he was. I don't know what he did. I don't know what was going on. You know, it didn't seem like it mattered anything. I'm glad he had kids because I'm here. But, you know, but, you know it's like, it just seems like there's... Didn't matter, didn't much. You know, that's under the sun with no eternity in mind. Live it up, doesn't really matter. All that shame and scandal they might have had, I don't know about it. It doesn't affect me anything. It doesn't seem like it really mattered. You know, it's not still in the world today. You know, it just seems like nothing. But if there is an eternity, and Solomon argues for it, we can, we can see he, he's already wrestled in the other chapters. He's like, but do righteous. You know, he, he'd already kind of told us that. You know, we must live a life that's pleasing unto God. And see, because he argues that there must be eternity because we know we want to live. We don't want to die. We don't want death to be the end goal. He says that's within us. And he goes, that argues for eternity. He also says we want answers. And we're only going to get answers in eternity. So that argues for eternity. And so Solomon has a lot of stuff. And that we want to see God. So Solomon argues that. That we, we, we want all these things, those desires. And so that surely shows that they are there. Under the sun kind of tips its hand that there is an eternity and that there is a God. But they don't think about it long and hard. But because there is, we... Let's watch what we do, because what we do does matter. We believers, we who have repented and trusted in Christ as Savior, we look at everything with a different perspective. Everything that we do matters. Everything that we do matters. Matter of fact, God judges uh, your thoughts and motives. Even thing, everything that we think matters. Because there's a God in heaven who's going to judge us, right? There's a point unto man wants to die. After this, the judgment, the Bible tells us. We will give an account. And the world argues for that too. It seems like there's an accounting. Tax day kind of puts that within us. You're going to give an account on what you did this last year. God's going to give us an account on what we did in our life. Roman 1 argues for all this. That all the creation is there groaning and teaching and instructing, showing that there's a Godhead and we're giving an account to this creator who made us all and that we're going to have to stand before him and how we've lived our life. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Because he's in the same place, so the last book of the Old Testament. Okay, three. Don't cheat ahead on me. Let's, uh, let's <clears throat> stay on the verse here. Because he argues what we argue here, or, or what it seems like. So Matthew 3, or not Matthew, Malachi 3, verse 15 says, Now we call 
the proud happy. He says, if you look at the world, it seems like the proud, the ones that God said he's against, they seem happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. They're set up for life. They got everything they need. They got all, everything that they want in life. Matter of fact, you know, they've got two cars in every garage. They got a pool. They even got an extra house. You know, they, they got all that. Yea, that tempt God are even delivered. It seems like those are even saying things against God. Like, if he's here, strike me down. You know, that, that, that they are getting by with it. You know, that they are, they are delivered and they, they get out of any of the trouble that they have. And it feels like, he's like, man, it just, he feels like we feel sometimes, that we see in the world, this frustration that it doesn't seem like it matters to live a life that is different. But he's going to give us some insight. All you cheaters, quit reading ahead. He's going to give us some insight, a peek into God's dwelling. We get to look on the other side. We get to look into eternity. And he's going to take us past God's throne. That's usually where my mind's, mind stops. I can't imagine. We, we sing the song. I can only imagine what that day will be like. You know, will I stand with you, Jesus? You know, will I fall down and cry? You know, I, I'm, I'm wrestling. I mean, what will that be like? Will I just be overcome with, here he is and we're here and the awe of it all. Will it just strike us dumb or will we dance? You know, all, as that song covers. Let's go past the throne where he rules and reigns. We're going to go back to his library. Not the official library that has all the books of everything that goes on and all the records, and we know that God keeps records and they're there. Matter of fact, there's a little bottles that he has on the shelf that keeps our tears, and, and he has all these things that shows that life matters to us. But we're going to go to like his desk. And, and maybe in those drawers to the right, you know, where, where he keeps his uh, journal. I don't know, but I'm not saying that God has a desk, but I'm trying to tell you the, the intimacy of this book. You know, it's where he keeps his, his journal, his private things, his thoughts from the day and all that, that side drawer. Let's see what's written there, verse 16. Because he just said that it seems like it doesn't matter, the wicked get by with it, you know, and God even gets them out of it, it seems like. And then he says this, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. So every time we speak about him and we encourage someone in him and we think about pleasing him, we're like, that wouldn't please the Lord. Does that make God happier? I want to please him. And what would God have me do? Or what would Jesus have me do? And we go through all that. Or we speak to it one to another. Well, here's what the word says. And let me encourage in this, brother. And let me share that. And we do all that, that God stops and says, they're talking about me. They're encouraging one another in me. The world seems backwards, and the world is saying, run from all this. And we see it, and we're like, no, there's God moving, and God is working, and God makes a difference. And we encourage one another, and we encourage the lost in it. And God says, I listen to that. God's here listening this morning as we discuss Him and what He is doing. He says, I I hear that. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written down before Him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. Even the very thought do you ever think about him during the day? Do you ever think about what it's like to be in his presence? Do you ever think about who he is and what he's done? When you see that beautiful sunrise breaking through, we, uh, the July 4th, we had one of those sunset that really broke into rays like you see in all those drawings, that, you know, stratified in a way. You're like, look at that, that's awesome. We try to take pictures and capture it somewhat. You know, but it's just like, makes you think of him and who he is and what he's doing and whatever it is that triggers it. He says, if you thought about me, God's like, mark it down. They were thinking about me today. They were thinking about how they might serve me today, whether we do it or not. You know, he, he counts that. He wants us to do it, but he's moving us to think about him. And he says, and he writes it down. Verse 17. No, wait a minute, let me back up. They're written before him, and him that feared the Lord and thought of his name. Think of what we just talked about there. That God hears us 
that God is listening when we discuss Him, that God had writes it down and makes, make a note of it. I don't want to forget that. Put it down, not that God would forget, but He has this book you know, in a way that we can understand. <clears throat> this tells us faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters above all. What's He got a book of? How the wicked get by with everything? No, He says, I got a book from these special ones of how faithful they are. Consistency matters. Do you think about the Lord every day? Do you think about Him daily? Do you think about Him every day? Do you at least remember Him every Lord's day? Do you come back around to Him? Consistency matters. And if you want to please God, these things will matter unto you because you're thinking on Him and He says, I acknowledge them. And He's paying attention to our lives when we're thinking on Him and seeking to please Him. Verse 17, He goes on and says, And they shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Uh, You want mercy when we get to the end of our life? Speak of God, think of God, talk about God, please God, honor God, repent and trust God, have all that. It will be showing you mercy. Live a life that's pleasing unto God. It might be hard. Matter of fact, it will be hard. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. It's a hard, suffering thing. And it seems like more wickedness comes on, them, on us than on them. But that's not things in light of eternity. In light of eternity, it's way better for us. Do you want to be his jewel? What's a jewel? That's a prized possession that he keeps close, you know. Someplace near unto him, those prized things. If I have something like that, I keep it near. I know where it is. I know what's going on. You want to be his prized possession? Think about him. Speak about him. You know, do things unto him. Honor him. Please him. God says, I keep him close. I keep that close unto me. You want to be that? He'll keep you close forever. You want to be spared judgment. Live a life pleasing unto him. Repent and trust in him. And then be there. And we'll be like his son. We'll be adopted in the family we learn in the New Testament. Verse 18, he says... Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. See, if you just stop with verse 15, it seems like the wicked get by with it. But by the time you get done, he says, when you weigh out eternity, those who are serving God are living in light of eternity. He says, and you can discern the ones that are his and the ones who aren't by those who speak about him, those who honor him, those who are in his house, those who are in his word, those who listen to his word, those who meditate on his word, those who think about him, those who seek to please him, those who seek to spread the word, all that. He says, it becomes clear and obvious, and you know that there is a difference. There is the wicked, and there is a judgment coming. Solomon has even told us that. He's like, reason dictates they will be paid for what they have done, and then we can have an escape. See, it is a wrestle, and we need to remember this. We need a verse like, Ecclesi- or like Malachi Because the world puts to us constantly that serving God doesn't matter. That you are missing out on life. That you are losing so much. You've got to keep up with the Joneses, man. You know, you can't be giving up a whole day every week. You've got to be putting those hours in. You've got to be doing all that. He says, man, you've got to comply with what everyone else is doing. Come on, get with the program. Step in line. You are being the oddball here, and we're going to make you feel like the oddball. You need to comply with what the world is doing. No, we're to be different. We're to be changed. We're to be marked by Him. We're to be His. His children are different. Here's my conclusion. We are tempted to measure God's love by what happens in our life. Isn't that true? That's what Solomon's been arguing about. Job has been arguing about. Malachi has been arguing about. We tend to look at life and say, well, that's how God loves us. It seems like He doesn't love us when we look at it in that way. But the world's short-sighted. Greg... um, I forget his last name, but he's the guy who has the, the gospel booth at the fair. Um, what's his last name? Carney. Carney. Uh, <clears throat> he sends emails regularly about praying for the fair booth and then some, some other things every once in a while. They get in front of him, but he's got a unique sign-off line uh, that, that he usually uses. And it's turn on your eternal vision. 
that's, that's, rules, that's, that's a line to live by for Christians, right? You know, Solomon didn't have that turned on. You know, he lived under the sun. If you turn on your eternal vision, now we see things differently. It's not everything that goes on this life that matters. It's what goes on in eternity that matters more. So we need to live a life in this life in light of eternity. Turn our eternal, eternal vision on. So we are tempted to measure God's love by what happens in this life. But we are to measure God's love by what happened at the cross. See, we see how much God hates sin. If you think that God, Jimmy Carter, president, supposedly a Christian president, came out with a statement this week that said, Jesus Christ would be in favor of gay marriage and most abortions. Ah, no. (laughs) It's like, I can read this book and tell you right now, Jimmy, you've not been reading the right book. (laughs) You are wrong, wrong, wrong. I don't care what the public says and what the thought of today is. You are wrong. I can stand up here and say wrong, wrong, wrong. So no, we are not to measure the world by that. We, We measure how sin is by what he's done to Jesus on the cross, how he suffered cruelly, how he suffered for your and mine sin, how he paid such a horrible price for us. God hates sin. Look at the cross. God hates sin. We also look at the cross to see what does God love? Us. He gave his only son to suffer that for us. So he made a way of escape through his son, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we're to live in light of the cross. Not in light of what the world says and what the world sees and what goes on here and now and how it seems like they get by with it. We have our eternal vision on. Uh, I won't give away too big of a secret. Uh, But uh, there's some secret writing on our bus. It's invisible. But if you shine the light on it, you can see it. And all of a sudden you have things made more clearly to you on what to do and what to go on because you have this light that's on a different frequency. We are to have that light that turns on that we see these things in the spiritual realm that we know that it matters and God's world is telling us all that. So we're to have that turned on to see it. It's more clear to us. The world acts like it's not there because they don't see it. They don't have that light. We have that light. We're to live in light of that light and it's to be the lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. So living your life on this earth does matter. Serving God does matter. Pleasing God does matter. So fight what the world says, fight what you see, turn on your eternal vision and live for Christ.